And now, of course, it is my great pleasure to introduce our, our speaker for today, our very own Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, who is celebrating Earth Day, I bet, because he's a gardener. I know he's a gardener, loves his garden and his flowers and all that, but he also plants seeds in the consciousness of our minds. So thank you for that. Good morning. Good morning. Joe, oh my gosh. Do you know, you know Ray LaMontagne? I oh, closed my eyes, I thought. I'm a 55-year-old man up there singing right now. Just, where does that voice come from? <laughs> Out of the blue. Is it? All right, so I grab my stuff here. Well, it's just so sweet to be with you, to be in, in this community, and, and it's, um, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. And so, what I'd like to invite you to do, if you'd like to stand and sing, great. If not, please stay seated. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear for spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to know with me. My invitation is, and what I have to offer in this moment is my, my blessing. And what I know and recognize in my heart and mind and spirit and my soul, one life, one perfect life and activity that I choose to view the world from and view myself as. And in that remembrance of who I am and who you are, I know that we stand in union individually and collectively. And in that oneness, I know that as we activate this infinite law that is always responding to us, it is not only about making demands upon the law, but allowing that which is seeking expression in and through and as each one of us an opportunity. So we become that clean, hollow vessel of divine receptivity. This is my knowing in this moment. I'm grateful beforehand for a powerful, wonderful day. That consciousness continues to build. The vibrancy of the Most High grows with each song, with each note, with each word, with each thought. This is a, a, a chamber of love and a chamber of prayer. It is sacred because we declare it so, a holy place. But all places on earth are holy that we say are so. I give thanks for the opportunity to be together in this sacred place with you, knowing every good thing is at our disposal guiding, supporting, resourcing, informing in every good way. For this, I'm so grateful. And in that 
vibration of gratitude, I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks for standing with me and sitting with me in that prayer. Thanks for letting me, I'm so mindful of what a gift it is to be able to speak uh, words. As I said last week in my, and thank you, Brown, for the music. Thank you so much. Brown Anderson, let's send some love Brown's way. As I shared last week, if you weren't here, I'll share it again because it was wonderful and people have been texting me and asking me to repeat it. Uh, it, which is very interesting because uh, what I said was that what we, what we hear, we forget. What we see, we remember. And what we say, we become. What we hear, we forget. What we see, we remember. And what we say, we become. And that's why our word is so important. And that's why it's so powerful to be able to stand with you. And I, I, Laura and I at home, we've become so mindful of that. My wife, Laura, and I with, about praying and, and speaking our words out loud. Because it's easy to get into the practice of thinking it and thinking, oh, yeah, I... I've done that. I've done that work. So I find myself more and more in my own spiritual practice speaking my words out loud. And it was interesting, too, because people would text me because we heard it last week. And the first thing is what you hear, you forget. And people would have the quotes all wrong because all they did was hear it. So that isn't it interesting? Because people say, I know I got the first one right. And the first one would be wrong. And I got the second one right, but I can't remember the third one. And I'd text back and say, well, no, you got the first one wrong and the second one wrong and the third one wrong. But... Anyway, but that's the way we process information. And Brown's right, it is, this is a smaller uh, venue than uh, the, the Windspear. But wasn't the Windspear great? One of the ones, and I love, oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. It's, oh, it's, I, I can't even begin to tell you what a stretch it is for us because there's so much around it in terms of resources that it requires. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it stretches us in every way. And without your love and support and, and being there, it wouldn't happen. One of the things that I know about life, and one of the things I know of the correlation about, about a band or a group of musicians that come together, is that if one person isn't playing along, it doesn't sound very good. And, and, and I think that the, it's a great metaphor for our own lives where if, if we're not in the flow, the, the Buddhists say to live in the flow of the flow of life. To live in the flow of the flow of life. What does that mean? Because there is a flow to life. And how do we connect with that? And how are we mindful of that? We've been using uh, Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me, for the last few weeks. And it's a wonderful book. It's her story, and I'll touch on it again real briefly if you're here for the first time. She, was, uh, she battled cancer for four years, lymphatic cancer. Finally went into a coma, and, and they decided she was dead. And so it's her journey about going through that veil, not even knowing when she was in the coma that she had died, and then what happened for her as a result of that, and the choice she made either make her transition or to come back. And she made a decision to come back. And everything that's in this book is a wonderful story and an illustration of what we teach as, as spirits, as beings on this planet. We don't have the market cornered on spirituality. We just don't stop. Our emphasis as a community is not about let's, this is our box and this is the one way and the only way. We're here to celebrate the, the spirituality everywhere we see it. And to, to draw upon the wisdom that's in the world. Dr. Ernest Holmes says, take your good where you find it and leave the rest behind. And I like that because that works for me. The other piece of it that really works for me is I don't have to, I don't have to convert anybody. It's not my responsibility to go out and save anybody because I can't save anybody anyway. I got my hands full with me, if you know what I mean. 
But what, but what we can do is we can inspire one another. I'd rather be inspired. than I, you Ever had anybody want to fix you? Boy, isn't that fun? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Any other character defects you'd like to point out to me? Great. I'll get right on those. But it's really about living from inspiration. And, and in, in um, Anita Morjani's book, she talks about um, why she got cancer. Because we always want to know why, don't we? And I'm going to read this to you because uh, it gives an insight. In, but this is her journey. And if you, are, if you are doing the dance with cancer, I remember this sweet old man I met in Simi Valley, California years ago. He owned a car rental place, and I was having trouble with a vehicle over and over, and I kept going and renting a vehicle so I could keep working. And he was giving me a ride home one day. He was about 85 years old, and he owned the, the, the thing. And he just said, you know, I've been doing this, this dance and I said, what dance? He said, oh, I'm, I've been doing the dance with cancer. And he said, but I, I just decided I'm going to live really well with it. And I thought, isn't that sweet? What a great perspective on, you know, he's going to make the most. He was going, planning a European vacation. He was telling me all about it and wasn't slowing him down. He said, yeah, I got this thing I'm doing. So this is not in any way, please hear this uh, objectively. Don't hear this as if I, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to do what she's done. That's not why I'm sharing it, because everyone is, is, everyone is where they need to be in their lives. But she said that the, the question that she's asked most by people is, why do you think you got cancer? And she said, there's one word, it's fear. Got cancer from fear. She said, and what was I afraid of? She said, just about everything, including failing, being disliked, letting people down, and not being good enough. I also feared illness, cancer in particular. As well as the treatment for cancer, I was afraid of living and I was terrified of dying. See, this is not a way to live. We don't have to get cancer and die to change that. That's the beautiful thing about what we teach, what we're preaching, what I know about this teaching. It's not required, but it was required for her. It was the only way that that, that, that self within her, that, that her attention could be focused on that idea. So she said, fear is very subtle. It can creep up gradually without our ever noticing it. Looking back, I see that most of us are taught at a very young age to be afraid. And although I don't believe we're born this way, one of the things I believe is that we, we already are what we spend our lives trying to attain. We already are what we spend our lives trying to attain. We come into this life knowing our magnificence. I don't know why, but the world seems to erode as, as we start to grow up. So she had this healing. I shared last week with you that a miracle is an instantaneous healing. A healing is a slow-motion miracle. And what she had with this story, her story, is a slow-motion miracle. Because her, her journey with cancer, her journey with the treatments and the modalities and the different influences and the people sharing things with her were part of the slow motion. This is what I, I shared with you, a bunch of information I came back with last week from I'm working with uh, Reverend Marcia Sutton down in the States who's put together this whole um, body of work that she calls co-creation. And that's why we're doing the Sacred Healing Circle. Sacred Healing Circle is a form, one small piece of co-creation. And in it, I've been doing a lot of studying because I've got a lot of homework with it because I, I want to understand it better. But it talks about the power of the group coming together for healing. 
the power of the, 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 the sum total of consciousness that comes together, but, and, and, and why that's so vitally uh, alive. In fact, we're, we're going to have another, as Reverend Connie said, another sacred healing circle this, this month. What I would really encourage you to do is, if you feel called to it, please sign up. But we're, we're looking at ways to make it work so that people, because last week, or last month, we had about 25 people that signed up, and I said, that's fine, we'll make that work. And then people asked me, can I come? And I said, well, we're, we're full. And then about nine people showed up. And we know people get busy, but if you can just let us know, and then we can call people that are on the waiting list. And then because it's nice to have a, that, that group of, of, say, 20 people or 15 people or whatever shows up. But, um, and it's new for us, so we get it. But I just want to let you know that if, you're, if you've signed up, we really welcome you and encourage you to be there. And if not, then please let us know. But in it, the, so Marcia talks about this thing. She talks about there's four kingdoms. Now, I'll, I'll do a better job with this because I had people asking me going out the door. I, I was confusing them with different categories. But she talks about the four kingdoms of creation, which really Dr. Michael Beckwith uh, talks about in a different way. But also it comes from the Hindu tr- tradition. And the first kingdom is the kingdom of victimhood. It's the kingdom where life seems to be doing things to us. The second kingdom is the kingdom of all of a sudden we realize that we are creative individuals and that that, that which we dwell upon, we become. And actually, after last week, I would say that what we, that's what we say we become. So not only thinking about it, but talking about it. So the words, our words are really important. That's the second kingdom where we start to do things. Things are done by us. The third kingdom, the third kingdom, which is a huge leap, and it's, the, and it's where metaphysics is moving. It's where our movement is moving. It's where the great teachers that have come down through the ages have, have been encouraging us to step into is through us. So not by us, but through us. Not by me, but through me. And then the fourth kingdom, which is, is the Buddha nature, is as me. And, and the teacher Jesus talked about it. I'm not even going to talk about the fourth kingdom. That's, that's way up the chain of command. So there are four. People were asking me what the fourth kingdom was on the way out the door because I didn't talk about it the early service. But in this information I brought back from Marcia, so you've got the four kingdoms. Victim, by me, through me, as me. Victim, by me, through me, as me. There's the great law of life, and it's based on three concepts. And this comes from Ernest Holmes, which comes from uh, uh, Marcia Sutton's filtering of it, the great laws of life. Number one, whatever I'm up against, I am creating. Anita Morjani, cancer. Why did you get the cancer? Fear. I feared everything. Fear was my nature. I feared disappointing people. I feared not being enough. I feared this and this and this and this. And so she had the clarity. She came back from the experience and she had the clarity about it. Clarity she didn't have prior to that. Whatever I'm up against, I'm creating. Now, she didn't ask for it. She didn't invite it. We don't do that with illness. I don't think anybody asked to be, be stricken with cancer. But if we understand how life works, if we understand with wisdom how life works and operates through us, we have more insight into what the possibilities are. Marcia says, our creative spiritual nature is always seeking to awaken itself within us in order to express life more abundantly through us. So our nature is always seeking to be awoken. This whole thing, this is the first, the first corollary, she calls it. Number one is the body. Whatever I'm up against, I'm creating. It's true for all of us, not just true for a few people. She continues, the tool it uses most effectively is to create conflict in our lives that produce pain in our bodies and suffering in our minds. So the pain in our bodies and the suffering in our minds is the tool that this corollary works to wake us up. What you'll see with many people is they'll start practicing addictions to numb the pain. When in fact, the nature of it is to say, hey, 
There's something for you to know here. Wake up. But how many of us got that? As Anita Morjani said, she got, you know, it's fear. And, and a lot of the message I got as a kid, and maybe you did too, was that, you know, pain's bad and suffering's bad. My mother used to always say, offer up your suffering for the poor souls in purgatory. I didn't even know any of these people. And I thought, what has my suffering got to do with them? <laughs> really, Mom? Because when your parents give you permission to suffer because you're helping somebody else, what do you do? You bring on the suffering, man. It's my job. Thanks, Mom. The nature of the particular conflicts that each of us experience is directly related to the false beliefs that we hold about life. And consequently, every conflict and problem that we face is intended to wake us up to the fact that we are believing something that's not true about life. See, this is where you got to do, you and I have to do our own work of discernment. Is this true for me or not? Is it really true that you're not enough? How many people here, show of hands, believe you're not enough? Yeah. Is that really true? But there's a belief there that's alive in you. And, and it's not a bad thing. Thank you for raising, thank you for having the courage. You know, because there's days when I raise, I'd raise my hand with you. But it's not true about us. So how do we, how do we rearrange that? How do we dismantle that, that idea? The second corollary is I always get what I feel I... If you're here for the first service, don't say anything, Diane. I always get what I... Who said it? Somebody said that. Feel I deserve. Were you here at the first service or did you just come up with that? Very good. That's Linda Wolf, one of our practitioners. Linda, would you stand up so we can give you a hand? No, I'm just kidding. You deserve a hand anyway. Look at how pretty her hair is today. It's all, it's all fluffy. Linda bought a blow dryer. That's awesome. You're welcome. Anything I can do to support and honor you. So I always get what I feel I deserve. And that's the soul. That's, and and, and uh, Marcia says that correlates with our soul. It is a natural human tendency to believe that we have the right to get whatever we deserve. Everybody believes they have a right to get what they deserve. Hence, we begin to think that we truly deserve to have whatever it is we want. But our wanting something may not line up with our deserving. I love it. I, I, one of my favorite quotes, I, I, I open this book up and here, I, I know my wife Laura's handwriting. One of my favorite books, this thing called You by Ernest Holmes. Love this book. And I'm thinking about using this quote today and open up in the back of the book. Here's Laura. She's written this in, and we have, I haven't opened this book in a long time to the back page. She said, you can have what you want, but you can't have everything. Choose faith or fear, one or the other. And I love that. Because you can. We teach. You can have whatever you want. But you can't have everything. And we forget that sometimes. And, and, and I want it, so I deserve it. Well, let me continue with this, because this is really subtle, but it's so powerful. However, Marcia continues, the great law of life can only provide us with what we truly believe. What we truly believe. And since a belief is made up mostly from emotion and frozen into self-repeating patterns of experience, we will always receive what we feel we deserve based on our current belief system. And unfortunately, we generally don't know what we feel we deserve until we get it. Isn't that interesting? Look at your life, because what you're getting is what you feel you deserve. 
For me too. Consequently, whenever we receive something less than what we think we deserve, we tend to feel disappointed, frightened, or angry. This is because it is our hidden feelings that have actually created whatever it is we have received. So we are transmitting constantly. The law of attraction does work. The law of attraction does work. Because it's always working, and it works for everyone. It works for everyone. We got an election coming up on Monday. Anybody know that? <laughs> you, yeah. They keep calling my house. Anybody, they, anybody calling your house? Man, oh man. We don't even answer the phone anymore. If you're trying to get a hold of me by phone, you won't reach me anymore. I'll wait till, af- wait till after the election to call me. But anyway, we have hidden feelings. See, that's why it's so important to, to do our own work and to look at it and to stay present with it. And that's what happens, you know, I was speaking with someone a, a while back about when they started their addiction, and, and, I, and they said, and, and, and people that, have, have, that addiction has been their teacher, we always stop, stop growing emotionally when we start the addiction. So people that have, have, have drink, been drinking for 40 years started when they were 15, and they'll, they'll say, well, you're 15 years old emotionally. You say, yeah, I know. In one case, somebody said to me, well, I think I've done enough work now. I'm working with two counselors and, and talking to you. I think I'm up to about 20 now. And I said, well, that's great. Keep going. But it's interesting because we, we are taught, or at least our tendency is to think that life shouldn't be painful. But when we understand that the, the way life informs us and guides us is through the, through the suffering that goes on in our pain in our bodies, what the Buddha talked about, we can be on with, get on with the work. And then we don't stay stuck there. We don't stay, keep pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. Then we're not saying that I'm not going to do it because it's too scary. But to say, bring it on. What's there for me to know here? To sit with somebody. That's why we need people in our lives that can be advocates for us. Practitioners. Ernest Holmes talked about that with fear. He said, you know, you, you need to dismantle this and you need to sit with someone that can just object, objectively and calmly and lovingly hear your story. That's what practitioners do. It's not true for you. It's not true for you. But, but to have the awareness and the, and the willingness to... to uh, I was talking to somebody that was at the first service and they went to, they said they went and saw this guy who was an astrologer, world famous astrologer. We were at the volunteer appreciation yesterday. I'm sitting next to her. I never, saw, never talked to this lady in my life. She said, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this. I said, what? She said, I went to this, this guy. He's an astrologer. And I said, really? And what did he tell you? And she said, well, he, he, the first thing he said to me is, get yourself to a center for spiritual living. You need to study religious science. I said, I like that guy. What else did he tell you? He says, all kinds of great stuff. I don't know. Ernest Holmes said, take your good where you find it. Now, I'm not recommending you all run out and get an astrologer. You're already here. You don't need that information. So save your 75 bucks or whatever it costs. The real law of attraction is that when we talk about this, because we set the intention, is why not bring the people into my life that will create the, the greatest amount of growth for me if we truly are magnificent, if we truly are powerful beyond measure, if we truly are the thing itself, why not invite the teachers and the mentors? As I said last week, there's two types of people in our lives. There's lovers and there's teachers. Most of them are teachers. Why not bring it on? What's there for me to know here? Oh my gosh, I'm really wrong on this one. There's really something new for me to know here. Here's Anita Morjani. She had to die to figure all this out. I'll read you another section here. I have so much stuff marked in these books, I don't know what I want to read to you anymore. It's like, it's this, pretty soon I'll have the whole book. Uh, 
But she says, we are here to experience and evolve this physical universe in our own lives within it. We are here to experience and evolve this physical universe in our own lives within it. And if we don't stay awake to it and aware to it and choose within it and, 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 and when things touch us emotionally to stand in it and say, what's alive here for me? Why does this hurt me so deeply? Why do I feel so discounted? Why do I feel like I don't matter or I'm not enough or all those things that come up for me? Is this true? Because in the Marcia Sutton work, what Marcia does is she says, go back into memory and find it and pull the stack out, pull that memory out. And that's why the sacred healing circle is so powerful. Because you do your individual work. And then you have a prayer practice to take home with you. And you dismantle it because we dismantle it. And we dismantle it physically. What, what Marcia has people do when they pray is, I release my, my prayer right now is, I release that I've done something wrong. I release the need for sadness. And I'm grateful God is the love. I am. So the reason we do that is because the body remembers. And you say it out loud. And you dismantle it. And this is a crucifixion. She said it's crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion every day to do the work. So when I start to spin into those feelings now, I go, you know what? I have practice to do, and I have someone I'm doing the mentoring work with. Once a month, we sit down, and I tell another story. And she says, okay, I think you might want to go in this direction. It's powerful. I sat in that room a week ago with 15 people that held the consciousness and the space for things to happen. And there were things that came up for me and shifted and changed. Being in that consciousness, I said, that's the kind of community I want to be in. I want to be in a community where people aren't sitting around talking about how much pain they're in. I want to be able to be in a, a community where people say, I'm suffering, and say, let, let, let's sit down, tell me the story. And now where do you want to go with it? Let's dismantle this so that your beauty and your magnificence can show up. You know, there's an election on Monday, but all they're doing is rearranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Uh, it's, it's, it's a boondoggle. It's a boondoggle. Unless consciousness change, we've got to have government. I'm glad we have traffic lights and stop signs. I'd be out there with a baseball bat if we didn't, I've got to tell you. But, uh, but, but you've got to have that stuff. And there are people passionate about it. And God bless them for doing the work because there's so many good people in government that care deeply. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to go vote. But whatever happens... Whoever ends up in the house, I wish them that they're going to have my prayers for the right and perfect things to happen. But my concern, what I cherish, what I value is who's in my house. Do I, I can have whatever I want, but I can't have everything. I can't stand in fear and stand in faith. What do I need to do to move myself out of fear? And I want to hang out with people that feel the same way. And if, you, and, and if you can't do the work, I, I still love you. But I just can't, I can't, I have to love you from afar. And, 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 and we all need to say that. I'm saying it in the I am. But we all need to say that. Because people don't know you. The, especially the ones that are blaming and shaming you, they don't know you. They're saying you're doing bad things and wrong things, they don't know you. That's their projection of you. That's them projecting their ideas upon you. But it's so easy to let people's opinions bias us. A lot of people don't like me. I meet people, I mean, as soon as I tell people what I do and, they don't, and they're of another tradition or faith, you should see it. It's such an interesting, that's why I don't even tell them anymore. I tell them I'm a, I write coloring books for children. You know? <laughs> As innocuous, I'm a lifeguard at a car wash. That's what I do. It's a little cold in the wintertime, but come down and see me. I'll...
My buddy Danny Bonco says, let's go golfing. And Danny says, come on, I'll take you to, to Jasper. We're going to go to this really wonderful golf course. So we get there, and there's been a lot of bear, there's been a lot of bear activity on the golf course. So they said, what we're going to ask each golfer to do is you're going to wear some little bells, like little Christmas chimes, because we want to alert the bears, but we don't want to scare them. And, he, and it'll keep you safe. And, and so Danny, I didn't know this, but this guy, he grew up in the country. He knows, he knows uh, bear droppings really well. And so we, we're, we're, I'm over in the rough, and, and I see a bunch of bear poop sitting there, and Danny comes over and says, oh, that's black bear. That's black bear uh, uh, droppings. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, because there's, um, there's berries in there, and there's a little bit of fur from a squirrel. And sure enough, we go along, and there's more droppings, and Danny says, yeah, that's more black bear. And I said, well, Danny, what do you, how do you know the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear? He said, well, if it was grizzly bear droppings, there'd be all those little bells in there. Thank you, Danny. So, so the great laws of life. Number one, whatever I'm up against, I'm creating. Number two, I always get what I feel I deserve. So when we do the work, when we do that deep work, when we, when we extract it, those stories that we got as children, as, as Anita says here, that life's a scary place. Fear everything. And, and, and so, what are we going to get if we feel we deserve that? And number three, there's something that fulfills the law for me. And this is, I, uh, the first one is body. Body is whatever I'm up against I'm creating. That's my mind and my, and my physical body. Number two, I always get what I feel. My feelings are at the soul level. feel I deserve. Number three, love is the spirit. So it's body, soul, and spirit. Love fulfills the law for me. And by that, she means every problem was once a solution. Every problem was once a solution. This is because a worldly solution to a problem merely buries the symptoms of our suffering and never removes the cause. And this is what I'm talking about, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. This work we're doing, this, and, and these children, Reverend Connie talked about our kids. To give children the foundation of this empowering, life-affirming, inspiring, creative, abundant teaching is changing the world. We're holding this space for our generation and the generations to come. It is possible to have great love, to stand together. My heart is open in your presence. And, and to be able to tell ourselves and one another the truth. When people come up to you and they're, and they're you know, I, I do it with my family all the time when I speak to them. To live in fear. A lot of fear. And I just, I affirm them and tell them I love them. Love you. I know you're going to get through this. Because you're bright, you're smart. And all these things are true. All these things are true. The law fulfills, love fulfills the law for me. It has been said that every problem was once a solution. This is because a worldly solution to a problem merely buries the symptoms of our suffering and never really removes the cause. However, we need to consider that a true solution always involves dissolution. Dissolution. Eradicate, dissipate, melts it, dissolves it. Dissolution. And this is what love does. This is what love does. Love dissolves the cause of our suffering with truth and creates a, a new experience of life beyond anything that we could ever conceive of. 
Love creates a divine conception that produces an everlasting, increased experience of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. This is why the scripture tells us that love fulfills the law. The law just says yes. And that's why Holmes, Dr. Holmes identified it. He said it's subjective. It can only do, it can only do, do for us what it can do through us, and it can only do through us what we are. And so as, as we clear away the, the old stories and the old limitations and the old beliefs and allow ourselves, so it's not about the attracting, uh, you know, a bringing, continuing to bring into our lives the car and the relationship and the people, but it is about life moving through us. It's one of the things I'm so passionate about, this co-creation. They, you know, with the co-creation, it's, I, said to, you know, I said when I got into this, uh, with people who were mentoring me, I said, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should still be in this community or not. I don't know where to go in my life. Because there's so much, there were so many things going on, and it turned out in the second kingdom, it's, it's challenge the leader, which is exactly where we are as a community. Challenge the leader. And I, once I got that information, I went, oh my God. And my mentor said to me, this is exactly where you need to be. Oh, what a relief. Whew. I'm broken, but I'm, I'm broken right where I'm supposed to be broken. And so, but in it, what, what came out of it is you do the work, you continue to do the work. Then the ones that want to be, the ones that are on board will be on board. And the ones that aren't, they'll leave. You don't have to do anything. Just keep doing your work. And I thought, wow, I can do that. I can do spiritual practice. And, 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 and then let emerge what wants to have happen rather than me have an opinion about it. Because my opinion is just my opinion. But I'm for the love. I, I read the quotes last week from my teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates. I love Catherine. She'd always say, why be anywhere you're not loved? Why be anywhere you're not loved? Life's too short and cherished and honored. And she was great. She was pals. You know, she was pals with my wife, my first wife, and she was, and, and she was my teacher. In fact, my, my first wife read the letter that I wrote at her, her uh, eulogy for me because she was, she was asked to speak. Remained very close, but she was so clear about it. And she looked at me one day, and she knew the history of the relationship because I went into that, that relationship with such a limited idea of what love was and what I deserved. And she finally just looked at me and said, why do you keep, I kept trying to fix it. I'm a metaphysician. I can, I can use the second kingdom. I can make this all new again. And that wasn't true, because I wasn't the only one in it. There was my wife in it as well. And she had grown, and I had grown. And she looked, Catherine looked at me one day and said, why do you keep fighting for such a small form of love? Oh, my God. It's because all I knew, all I knew. So I, I just loved her infinite wisdom and her honesty, because she said it with love. But, it's, you know, this is teaching. It's a wonderful, vibrant teaching. And all of the, the good, see, and we don't have to know all of it. We don't have to know the totality of it. I used to think I, to be a good minister in this, I had to memorize the science of my textbook. So I went home from a seminar one year, and I said, I'm going to memorize a textbook this year. And I got to page three, and I said, I'm never going to memorize this textbook. <laughs> I'm done. That was a great idea, but I don't think that's going to happen. But the information we need is, always reveals itself. The information we need always reveals itself. This little book called This Thing Called You that I found, my wife Laura's quotes in the back, uh, there's a foreword by Norman Vincent Peale. 
And Peel writes in this, Ernest Holmes gives me the tools to face the fears, the fallacies that drive my ego. He touches my heart. He brings me closer to Jesus and inspires the highest and holiest parts of me into creative action. Inspired creative action. Inspired creative action. That is our divine destiny. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this, this work. That's why we have this community and this movement and this teaching. It's not to live in a limitation. It's to realize it's the shifting and changing in consciousness that makes so much, it's so important, so valuable in the world. And this book, this thing called You, wonderful things in here. Dr. Holmes writes, I place my affairs in the hands of goodness, love, and wisdom. I place my hands, my affairs in the hands of goodness, love, and wisdom. I place them there without, with supreme confidence. I have a childlike faith and trust in good. I know there is nothing between me and that which is best. I am filled with enthusiastic hope. I look forward to entering into the fullness of life. It's just a little prayer here to pick that up and read that out loud to yourself. You know, 366 days of richer living. What if each one of us, myself included, improved 1% this year each day? 366% in one year. It's just incremental. Just incremental. But do you have something like that that you pick up and read every day and remind yourself? And because it, this is still alive because Holmes' consciousness is still evolving. Holmes' consciousness is still evolving. I love that. That came from Marcia Sutton. She said, that's why when you open it up, it's still alive and it's still new and it's still fresh. I place my affairs in the hands of goodness, love, and wisdom. Say that with me. I place my affairs in the hands of goodness, love, and wisdom. I place them there with supreme confidence. I place them there with supreme confidence. I have a childlike faith and trust in good. I have a childlike faith and trust in good. I know there is nothing between me and that which is best. I know there is nothing between me and that which is best. I am filled with enthusiastic hope. I am filled with enthusiastic hope. I look forward, I look forward to entering into the fullness of life. I look forward to entering into the fullness of life. You've just said it out loud. That which you say, you become. And so it is. Here comes Mr. Joe Nolan. <laughs> 